Well, it's been said quite a lot, but Happy New Year to you. This morning, I'd like to bring a, a New Year's encouragement uh, to you. We'll be in the book of Ezra. This is Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1. So you go to First and Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and Ezra is right there. Between Second Chronicles and Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 1. This chapter is a gold mine of encouragement for us. We need to set the stage a little bit. What was taking place uh, during this time period? Well, we estimate the date here, the date in which um, Ezra is talking about would be 536. Um. And the children of Israel, uh, specifically the, the Israelites from, well, Judah, were in captivity. They are in Babylonian exile. So a good question would be, how far is Babylon from Jerusalem? I, I've got to be careful here because I've, I've stated wrong distances before. So I want to make sure I get this one. About a thousand miles. You can check it. But I, it's, a, it's a great distance, okay, for these precious people. That they, are, they have been taken out of their homeland and now they're in Babylon. And they've been there about 70 years. They've been there long enough to get comfortable, to grow accustomed to kind of the way of life there in Babylon. And Ezra's going to tell us about what happens. Very interesting. And this uh, really speaks of a new beginning for these people. So we'll just read the chapter. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord. The God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor at whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, 
together with a free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the father's households of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites arose. Even everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go and rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. All those about them encouraged them with articles of silver, with gold, with goods, with cattle and with valuables. Aside from all that was given as a freewill offering. Also, King Cyrus brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and put it and put in the house of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and he counted them out to Sheshbazar. The prince of Judah. Now this was their number. 30 gold dishes. 1,000 silver dishes. 29 duplicates. 30 gold bowls. 410 silver bowls of a second kind. And 1,000 other articles. All the articles of silver. Of gold and silver. Numbered 5,400. Sheshbazar. Brought them all up with the exiles who went up from Babylon to Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we uh, are trusting you this morning that we would receive encouragement from your word for this first Lord's Day of the new year. God, help us. Give us insight. And then, Lord, bring the word home to our hearts. That we would think and that we would respond. That we would act decisively concerning your word before us. So we give you the praise and the glory we, we acknowledge you as the one and only true God, that you're the creator of everything that we see and can't see, and that it is to you that our worship is directed. And Lord, it is before you that we carry out our lives on this earth. So we want you to be magnified. We want you to be pleased. So speak uh, to us and help us receive, Lord, your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So setting is Babylon. As children of Israel are a long way from home. Their temple has been torn down, the temple in Jerusalem. And God had put them in exile because of their unfaithfulness. They were constantly involved in idolatry. In some instances, they were, they're led by kings that did not honor God, did not favor God, did not speak 
uh, highly of God, nor did they encourage obedience toward God. And so as, as long-suffering as our Lord is, there comes a time when he responds to man's disobedience. And man's hardness of heart and unwillingness to honor the Lord. So the Lord brought in the Babylonians and they, they tore down the temple and they took, for the most part, the leading citizens of the children of Israel and they led them into captivity. The idea back then, and really still today, is that there's, there's a people... In this case, the Jews. And they have a land. And they have a God that they worship, all things being equal. The idea of the enemy is we're going we're gonna to separate them either from their land or their religion or both. And by doing so, they weaken their opposition. They're able to subjugate them. They're able to control them. So in this case, the Babylonians took them back to Babylon. So they're a long way from where? They're they're a long way from their land. So this this is a terrible position for these people to be in. Um, that's the background. Now there's some other things going on behind the scenes. And I want to, uh, I want to speak to those things, uh, here because it's going to set up what God is doing in verse one of this chapter. Um, if you go to, go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet who prophesied, of course, and We're going to read a prophecy given by Jeremiah concerning the length of time that the children of Israel would be in Babylonian exile. And this is about their exile started around 606. But there we are. Jeremiah 25, 12. Well, about three or four Uh, prophecies concerning the situation of the children of Israel. And then we'll dig into the text and we will uh, gain some much needed encouragement today. Verse 12 of chapter 25 in Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote this. He said, then it will be when 70 years are completed. I will punish the king of Babylon. And that nation declares the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans. And I will make it an everlasting desolation. I will bring upon that land all my words, which I have pronounced against it. All that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. We'll stop there. So there is a, a, a specific prophecy given by Jeremiah concerning the Babylonian exile of the children of Israel. It's specific to them. And it was prophesied, of course, before 
the Babylonian exile. Now, you go to Jeremiah 29. Very familiar passage to many of you. So familiar, we often lift it out of its context. We need to read it in context. But the words are good for believers. But listen to this. The immediate context is the Babylonian captivity. For thus says the Lord. When 70 years have been completed, isn't it interesting we have that 70 years? 70 years they're going to be in exile and then God's going to do something. Well, for, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. What a prophecy, not only good for that time and that place of the Babylonian captivity, but for even beyond the Babylonian captivity of what the Lord says he will do. Now, we take one more little turn over here to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. This is going to make, make much more sense here in a moment. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to strike gold, but first you got to dig a little. So here's Daniel. Daniel's a contemporary. He is, well, he's in this Babylonian captivity. And uh, we find out something about Daniel here. Beginning there in verse one, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. Now in Ezra, we read about Cyrus. Here we're reading about a king, Darius the Mede. So the relationship and the time frame of when they ruled. We think that Darius was the father-in-law of Cyrus and that Darius was given uh, he was given power over a certain part of that population in Babylon. So we take it. The first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. So eventually he is king. In the first year of his reign, this is Daniel's testimony. See what you think of it. He says, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. Oh, interesting. So Daniel, when, as he is in Babylonian captivity, is studying the prophecy of Jeremiah. He just testifies to that. He says, um, it was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. 
for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, here it is, 70 years. That's interesting. So this prophecy that had been made prior to the Babylonian captivity, Daniel's giving attention to Jeremiah's prophecy about the end of that captivity. So look at verse 3. So he says, I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So he reads the prophecy, and rather than saying, God's got it all under control, what does he do? He gets on his knees, which was common for Daniel, and he prays all the more. And we get to that wonderful question about God's sovereignty and human responsibility, and yes... Yes, God is sovereign, and yes, God is going to fulfill his word, and yes, you and I, as well as those who have preceded us, such as Daniel and and Jeremiah, we should be wholehearted in our desire to pray and obey the God of the universe. God's sovereignty and human responsibility are not in conflict. In fact, they go hand in hand. I was awakened the other day. Well, what, what, what night was it? Well, it was early morning. It was a wee hours. It was like three o'clock in the morning, which is not uncommon. But this is what was on my mind. And I started, I was laughing kind of inside, you know. It was funny. Funny to me. You, you may not think it's funny, and that's fine. But I woke up thinking, when God bursts forth... With eternity. And, and you, all of a sudden you have this eternal God with this eternal plan. The first thing I thought of was we run out of time. Think about that. I mean, because when you, if, you, if you can even begin to wrap your mind around that, he's, he's giving us information about eternal things. And we and but we are in a finite place. We are constrained by time. And and the next thought I had was this. So so I in the remaining part of the service, I have well when the singing's done and the kids are dismissed, we have what, 40, 45 minutes to talk about eternal things. And there was just something about that that didn't seem fair. If you get my drift. So what I what I'm saying is, you know, we have this we have this great God, and and He gave Daniel this prophecy from Jeremiah. It's interesting. He's reading Jeremiah's prophecy about his current condition and the condition of his people. And the first thing he does, right there, verse three. So I gave my attention to the Lord God. This is the effect of him studying the prophecy of Jeremiah. To the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And said, alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments And then he prays. He says, we have sinned. Now, he's not finger pointing here. 
He includes himself with these people, with these precious people, these Jews. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, he says, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you. And I say amen to that. Righteousness belongs to, the, to our God. O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is to this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away and all the countries to which you have driven them. Because of their unfaithful deeds, which they have committed against you. Open shame, he says, belongs to us. O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside. I mean, that's why they were in Babylon. Not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, he says, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against them. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who have brought your people up out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself. So he's recalling God's previous works, his acts of bringing the people out in order to bring them in. And he, he's calling up, calling to mind the, when the children of Israel were in Egypt. And he's talking about God bringing them out with a mighty hand. He says, you have made a name for yourself. As it is this day, we have sinned. We have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, incline your ear. You can just feel Daniel's passion in this. Incline your ear and, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. Oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. You think, well, that was just a prayer. Yeah, and Gabriel showed up. And then, and then Daniel finds out later, he finds out from Gabriel. Gabriel just showed up to say this, Daniel... 
I know you think it's taken a while, but God heard your prayer when you first prayed it and gave the command and it was already happening. Before you even ended your prayer, God was at work. So back to Ezra and we'll make some points. It's so encouraging uh, to us. So I got to go back. There we go. Esther. Okay. Nehemiah. There we are. Ezra. So all that's going on. And what do we find out in verse one? Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So he, so Cyrus is ruling now. And Cyrus is a king and he is over the children of Israel. He's over Babylon. And the Bible says, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of who? There he is again, Jeremiah. Isn't that interesting? And then the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. That's even more outstanding. God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, who is a Gentile, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So basically what he did was God moved on Cyrus's heart to follow the Lord and release the people. And Cyrus, in order to show that, that he honors God and that he has, he has been stirred up by the Lord, he sends heralds out for this or with this proclamation. And he also writes it down. So he is communicating the fact that the God of heaven has stirred up his spirit and he is going to release these people. And he has heard this by the word of Jeremiah. Verse 2, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven. Now, a lot of folks, you know, they, if you read, read a little bit on this, they wonder if Cyrus was a believer or not a believer or whatever. He was a Gentile. And I think by his own testimony in verse two, he sounds like a believer because he says the Lord, the God of heaven and the Lord there is Yahweh and Yahweh is the covenant name for God. That Yahweh means it's God's name and he is conveying to you and I, I want a relationship with you. For instance, when you read Genesis 1, Elohim, 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 meaning God is transcendent and powerful. You get to Genesis 2, Yahweh, 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 10 times in Genesis 2. What's it mean? It means God wants a relationship with you. This transcendent God who is all powerful takes thought of man and desires a personal relationship with you. Be encouraged by that. God hadn't forgotten you. You're here for a purpose. God knows all about you. And, and, and knowing all of that, respond to him. Respond to him in trust. I mean, what else are you going to trust? You don't trust what's in your wallet? I don't care what's in your wallet. It ain't worth trusting. That was, I was just talking about the commercial. I, I, what's in your wallet? It ain't worth trusting. Trust God. He loves you. He knows you're here. He knows your situation. 
And so he issues, this Cyrus issues this proclamation. And, and it goes on. He says, the Lord, the God of heaven. He is the God of heaven. He's the God of everything. He, he knows no boundaries. He's not constrained by time. God, the Lord, the God of heaven has what? Given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you. Listen to this. Isn't it beautiful? Whoever there is among you of all his people. May his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord. The God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So go up and rebuild. But notice, Cyrus is stirred up by God, but he doesn't command the people to go. He doesn't command. He he doesn't say, you have to go back. He just says, you're welcome to go back. And isn't that the way the Lord is? I I just see grace in this. I know that I think Cyrus knew his God because I see him uh, responding not only to God, but to God's people with grace. Not making you do this. I've heard it said before, Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to make you. He'll lead you. He'll give you so much information of eternal things. And he'll give you a path to respond. But... He's not going to make you. You have it there in front of you. And he says, you, yeah, if you want to go back, go back. He says, go back to Jerusalem. Every survivor, whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And so we have God turning the heart of a king here. We have, uh, as we've read previously, we have Daniel uniting the word of God with prayer. You get that? When you read the word, put the prayer with the word. I mean, take a page from Jesus' ministry. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Take a page from Paul's ministry. Paul said, your glory in the church forever. Paul prayed for the church. God, do a work among the people. Sanctify those who are saved. Sanctify them with your word. Your word is truth. Take a page from John's writing. What did John pray? Even so, come Lord Jesus there at the end of Revelation. But unite the word of God with prayer. Then he goes on, he says, he says, your, your trip, everything, everyone who wants to obey, everyone who goes back, they're not going to lack for anything. It's going to be taken care of. And then we find out in verses five and following, they, they restored the holy vessels, the vessels that were taken out of the temple at the time of the Babylonian conquest. Cyrus has them brought out and they're going to take them back. And then we have the number of those returning in chapter two. All of the families. Why do we have those there? We don't like names, do we? We don't like the genealogies in the Bible. Why? Why not? Why wouldn't we like them? It just tells us that God knows. He knows 
He knows it all. He knows those who responded by leaving Babylon and going back. All those families. Our God knows. I want to encourage you this morning to avail yourself of the freedom that we have in Christ. These people are free. They're free. They have a new beginning and they're free. And they can respond to God and they can go back and they can apply themselves to God's will. They don't have to be feel like they're bound by circumstances which they certainly they certainly were. They could they didn't have the freedom, but we have freedom. We have freedom. And I want to encourage you to act on that spiritual freedom that we have. We have spiritual freedom and then we have freedom to move about, don't we? We do. Act on that freedom. Pursue God with everything in your heart. If I want to encourage you this way. If there's something that needs changed in your life, you know, you get in that rut. We all know what a rut is. It's a grave with both ends kicked out. That's a rut. You get in a rut. Listen, it's a great time to make a decision to get out. It's a great time to do something different in the way of honoring and obeying God. So often we feel bound. We're bound by ourselves or we're bound by circumstances. You're free. You have a Bible. You have a heart for God. Pray to God. Read your Bible. And, and I want you to hear this. And this is very encouraging. And I'm, I'm in this. I'm still trying to get through eternity here. And we're beyond. But I want you to hear this this morning. You're not alone. You're not alone. There are others around you that, that benefit from the fellowship that you have with them. They benefit from your encouragement, your prayers, your leadership. Assess your life where you are right now and go from there. I'm reminded, and I'll close on this, one of my favorite war stories, Teddy Roosevelt Jr. He is an old man. And our blessed country was about to storm the beaches of Normandy. And Teddy Roosevelt Jr. wanted to be with his people. He wanted to be with his men. And the higher-ups kept saying, nope. I mean, it just wouldn't look good for the son of a president to die on Normandy Beach. So they just kept telling him, no, you're not going. No, you're not going to be with your men. We'll have a replacement. And he kept like a leaky faucet. He just kept coming back to that. I want to be with my men on D-Day. I want to be with my men on D-Day. Finally, they said, you can go. And I believe Teddy Roosevelt went through D-Day unarmed. But he was with his men. And what happened? They were supposed to hit a certain spot on the beach. But because of the current and all the confusion, they were, they were considerably further away than where they were to hit the beach. And when they hit the beach, all of his men were in confusion. They didn't know what to do. The, the picture in their minds that they had previous was not what they were looking at. And they were under heavy fire. And Teddy Roosevelt, with his cane, 
goes to his men, he rallies his troops, and he says, gentlemen, and he looks them in the eye, and he says this, we start the battle from here. You see, life catches up with us sometimes, and we, we live with the consequences of decisions made. But that doesn't mean you can't go on with the Lord. It doesn't mean that you can't get your heart right with the God. You may not be able to go back and correct everything. You won't be able to do that. But your heart can be right with, the, with God now. And then you go forward from where you are in serving God and honoring God and praising God and, and, and loving his, his people and sharing your faith with those around you. And I'm done. Father in heaven, thank you for the day. Thank you for this word um, uh, to us from you. I pray that you would really uh, work in our hearts. Help us to consider uh, your word today and then to act accordingly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.